1 Samuel chapter 25, we're going to start in just a moment in verse 23, the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 25. I've entitled the message today, Good Advice Just in Time. Has there ever been a time in your life that you have received advice from someone that was just in the nick of time, that if that advice had come a little bit later, it would have been disaster or embarrassment or maybe even death? I remember one time that I was about to get up and speak in front of a group of people and just before uh, I went on, somebody that was backstage with me said, oh, oh by the way, Daniel, uh, your fly is down, your zipper is down. I was like, oh, oh, thank you very much. Uh, Save me uh, embarrassment. I may have end- ended up on the internet uh, in an embarrassing way. Uh, and there are obviously more serious uh, advices, pieces of advice that people have been given that would save them from death. Like, you know, someone's about to push uh, a board through a saw. And it's like, oh, by the way, you might want to move your thumb out of the way. Oh, thanks. You know, I almost cut off my thumb. Uh, but in 1 Samuel 25, we have a woman named Abigail that gives David some good advice just in the nick of time. In the first half of the chapter, David has been... Uh, mistreated by, not David, but his men, 10 of his men, were mistreated by a man named Nabal. They asked for just a little bit of a handout, some help at this difficult time in their lives. And Nabal was a very rich man, and in a good day, he was shearing his sheep, and he said, who's David? I'm not giving anything to David. He's probably just one of these people that's broken away from his master, and he sent the, the men away. And David heard about this, and he was about to kill everybody, all of the males that were in Nabal's household, and he's on the way to do this, when all of a sudden, this lady appears named Abigail. Let's pick it up, and uh, I want to look at uh, several divisions of the second half of the chapter. I'm going to start the numbering where we left off last time. We looked at the first six divisions of the chapter. I want to start with number seven, which is Abigail's timely advice. So David and his men are bearing down on the compound of Nabal. They're almost there. And here's Abigail, verse 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground, and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience. And hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Abigail here, uh, by the way, she mentions that Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. The, The name Nabal literally means foolish or a fool and she says he's he's lived up to his name and he's continuing to live up to his name but but don't worry about him uh and one in, in, um, interesting thing that she does is that abigail doesn't take the blame for the wrong she doesn't say it's my fault i did it but she wants to take the punishment for it she says upon me be this iniquity but then she says but i wasn't there when the young men were there so if i had been there i would have made sure that they were taken care of but i i didn't do the wrong i can't take the blame but i do want to take the punishment and this reminds us this is very similar to when jesus came to earth for us 
when he became a man. And the Bible says that he never did anything wrong. There was no iniquity found in his mouth. He never had a wrong thought. He never had a wrong motive or action. He was totally sinless and pure. But what he came to do was take our punishment. And the Bible says that the iniquity of us all was laid upon him even though he was innocent. And so Abigail here shows really a beautiful picture. I'm not saying that she's necessarily a type of Jesus, but what she does is very similar to Jesus, except in this regard. When Abigail comes to David, she is pleading on the behalf of Nabal to David, and Jesus pled on our behalf to God, but in a very different way. When Jesus came to God, he wasn't trying to talk God out of doing wrong. Abigail here is trying to head David off at the pass and keep him, stop him short from doing wrong. If God were to have judged us in our sin, it would not have been wrong. It would have been totally fair, totally just. The judge of all the earth would do right. But it was God the Father who initiated Jesus' coming. This was not uh, Nabal sending Abigail. This was Abigail of her own accord. But God the Father sent Jesus on our behalf to make another way so that we wouldn't have to die. So a little bit very different on that side, uh, but a beautiful picture of Jesus in what Abigail does. Let's go on, look at verse 26 as her advice continues. She says, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. This is an amazing verse with amazing insight that Abigail has. Notice that she doesn't say, she, she uses the words in the past tense like they've already happened. Now David is still coming and it's still future in his mind that he's going to go and kill Nabal and all the men. But Abigail says in the past tense, notice what she says, the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. She says, as, in, as if by faith, saying to David, I believe that God is going to do this, that she says it as if it's already done. God has stopped you, David, from coming and shedding blood and taking vengeance. And she believes, maybe she believes in God, maybe she believes in David that he's going to do the right thing. But her advice to David is that God has stopped you short of doing wrong. What a, a beautiful statement that she makes. And by the way, we may not know all the times and the ways that God is intervening in our lives, but this is how God intervened in David's life. So many times we think, that if someone's on the way to do wrong, that we pray and we expect or we hope that God is just going to intervene and just stop them. But notice that for God to have stopped David required David's cooperation. God will never treat anyone like a robot. God will never put his hand in them like a puppet and make them do the right thing. They have to choose. We have to choose if we are going to follow God, if we're going to listen to his uh, averting our actions. But this is the way that God seeks to avert our actions. So know that, that if someone's ever going the wrong direction and you pray for them, that God would intervene, God is probably not just going to physically stop them. Now, God can do that, obviously. But many times what God does is he puts a roadblock, an obstacle, and then they can choose to 
jump over that obstacle or they can choose to listen to God. For instance, if someone's on the way to do something wrong and they were to get a flat tire, that could be God intervening, but they could say, ah, oh, flat tire. Well, I'm just going to fix the tire and I'm going to keep going. And we need to listen. We need to be on guard and watch for that. But know that if you're praying for someone else, that just because you pray for God to intervene, God may intervene, but they may still push through. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts. That's ultimately uh, the issue at hand. And so Abigail, she sees that God can do this, but she, she pleads to David in the past tense. What an interesting insight that she had. Look at verse 27. She says, and now this blessing, so she's brought all of this stuff with her, and now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. And so uh, Abigail here, she praises David's righteousness. She says, I know that you've been on the run from Saul. I know that you've been hiding out as a fugitive, but everything that you've been doing has been at the Lord's command. Even when you were with Saul, the battles you were fighting, they were the Lord's battles. You have been blessed by God. God's hand is on your life. Uh, and uh, David maybe is, is about to give up on this line of thinking, this line of, of living. But Abigail says, stay with God. You've been fighting the battles of the Lord and God is going to bless you. And she predicts that God is going to continue to bless David. She says, the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Again, here's where she knows that David has been anointed to be the next king and God is going to bring him to the throne. God is going to bless him. And so she predicts that blessing of God on him. And then she goes on in verse 29. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee, this is Saul, and to seek thy soul but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee. And shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel. That this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord. Either that thou hast shed blood causeless or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. Here she warns David not to ruin his future. She says, David, don't throw it all away. You're right on the verge of good things. You're right on the verge of God lifting you and you're going to ascend to the throne, but don't throw it away just before that time and you could devastate, you could ruin your future. You know, God has for all of us, for all uh, of pe the people that you know, God has a future that can include great blessing. It doesn't matter what somebody's past is. God can forgive that. God can move on and bless their future. But no matter what somebody's potential future can be, they can also ruin and destroy their future by actions that they make. Now, we need to know that we reap what we sow and that consequences have actions. And she's warning David, think in the long run. Don't think short term that Nabal's... Um, offended me and I'm going to fix Nabal, think in the long run that I want and that I need God's blessing on my life. And don't throw it all away for a moment. There are so many people, young people as well as adults, that need to hear 
If you're living for a moment of pleasure, don't throw your life away just for that moment. Be like Moses, who forsook the pleasures of sin for a season in Egypt so that he could be with God's people and so that he could identify with God. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 23, uh, uh, if you would turn there, shows that Abigail's advice shows that advice at just the right time is so welcome. It says, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Have you ever received a word in due season? Have you ever given a word in due season? You know, sometimes we don't know what due season is in someone's life. Someone could be planning something. Someone could have an opportunity about to come their way. Someone could be about to have a disappointment come their way. And sometimes if we speak into someone's life, maybe a word of encouragement or hope or truth, just uh, the truths of the gospel, that God could use that and you never know what somebody's going through. Somebody could be in the depths of despair, but a word spoken in due season, how good is it? You know, God can have a, uh, you can just speak into someone's life that God has a plan, God has a purpose. And I don't know if you're going through something, but God can use that for good in your life and for God's glory. And that can turn on the lights uh, in someone's life. And so give words of counsel because you never know if it's just the right moment that somebody really needs that. David here in his life, he wasn't surrounded by people that were giving him good advice. Remember that just in the last chapter, he's had all of his men say, kill Saul, kill Saul. Uh, And they were trying to lead him in a wrong direction. And here, when he has the idea to kill Nabal and his men, uh, I don't think any of his men said, you know what, that's a little bit of an overreaction. I think think that's not wise. All of his men are just bloodthirsty. They're like, yeah, let me get my sword. Let's go kill him. They're just in soldier mode all of a sudden. Uh, And so... God allows Abigail to come and give this advice because David wasn't surrounded by it on his own. We need to do our very best to surround ourselves with godly advice. How do you do that? Well, you surround yourselves with godly people because godly advice usually comes from godly people. We need to stay in church. We need to stay in God's word day by day and surround ourselves with the counsel of the word of God. And we need to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. God's Spirit is always trying to give us counsel. But many times if we're listening to bad advice, if we're surrounding ourselves with wrong entertainment or wrong friends or things like this, we drown out the Holy Spirit's voice and we cannot hear Him. And we need this godly counsel and advice. And then when God tries to break through your plans, either with advice or with circumstances, we need to listen. Don't stubbornly push through. Don't jump over the wall. Don't jump over the fence to your own destruction. And if we ever know of someone that is wayward, uh, we need to ask for God to intervene in their lives. Maybe right now you know someone, maybe it's a close friend or loved one that's away from God. Maybe they're an unbeliever. We need to pray that God would intervene in their lives uh, and and, uh, cause them to see things clearly and get their act together before they fall to their own destruction. And so that is exactly what David does. Our eighth thought here is David's repentance. He's on the way to do this wrong. Abigail confronts him. She gives great advice and he listens to the advice. We see this in verse 32. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, 
and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hadst hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. Abigail's advice worked like a charm. And David, listen, he gives her kind of a threefold blessing. He says, blessed be God, and blessed be your advice, and blessed be thou. I bless you. Uh, I'm so thankful that, that he's seen that God has intervened in my life and kept me back uh, from doing this horrible thing. David in his life to this point has been trusting in the Lord to avenge him of his enemies, of Saul, of, of people that would fight against him. He, he's been writing Psalms. He's been trusting in God. And all of a sudden he was about to trust in himself. He was about to avenge himself. But remember what the Bible says multiple times throughout the scriptures, that vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It is always wrong to take matters into your own hands and to get even, to get back at someone. Just wait on the Lord. God will do it, and he will do it in a better way than you can ever do it. How do you respond, by the way, when you are confronted with your sin? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's someone in the church or someone even at work. It could be an unbeliever. Sometimes unbelievers know better what we should be doing than we do. They say, hey, uh, I don't think you're living like a Christian right now. And so many times we just blow it off. We just brush it off. Ah, forget, you know, we're in a moment and we just go our own way. How do you respond when someone confronts you with your sin? By the way, sometimes it's obviously easier to respond if they come gently, if they come with, uh, with charity and with good advice if they come with love. But sometimes people come in hatred, but still we ought to listen when somebody points out our wrong. Proverbs 29 and verse 1 gives us a, a swift warning. It says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Remember the story of Pharaoh? When Moses confronted him with his sin and with not letting the people go, he had to do ten separate warnings, ten times, and ten plagues that Pharaoh and the whole nation of Egypt received. And he pushed through every one of them. Uh, the plague stopped, he hardened his heart. The plague stopped, he hardened his heart, he pushed through. And finally, his heart was so hard and God had hardened his heart, and he had said no to God one too many times, that his whole nation, his son was destroyed, his army was destroyed, and the things that God brought on Egypt could not have been undone. Know that if God ever warns you through a certain person or through his Holy Spirit or through his word, if God ever warns you, stop, listen to it. Because if you keep hardening your neck, all of a sudden you can be destroyed and that without remedy. David listens and he repents of the evil that he was going to do. This leads us to our ninth thought, which is God's judgment of Nabal. And this came immediately. This doesn't always come immediately. In this situation, David was immediately vindicated by the wrong that was done to him in his patience. First Samuel 25 and verse 36, it says, And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, 
for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning light, because he was just too drunk to receive anything. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after, that the Lord smote Nabal, that he died. I don't know if he ever spoke another word in those 10 days, but very interesting. Uh, Abigail told Nabal the news. By the way, Nabal, just want to let you know that, that last night, David was on the way. You were going to be drunk in the middle of a feast. And all of a sudden, you and all the men, you were all going to die because David was coming for you. But I stopped him. And when Nabal heard that, he like went into shock. And it says his heart became a, as a stone. Uh, and maybe he kind of went into brain lock or something. He's, he didn't talk. And maybe for the next 10 days, he just lay there, didn't do or say anything. And then after 10 days, God smote him and killed him. And just like that, it was over. He was rich. He was prosperous. He was feasting. And then all of a sudden, he's done and he's gone. And that, in the, in the long run, in the light of eternity, that is all of the wicked. It doesn't matter if they last to the rest of their lives. It's still just a moment in light of eternity. They're enjoying their feasting and their riches for a moment. And then one day, it's all going to be gone. You know, God doesn't always judge the wicked so quickly, obviously. But God will always judge the wicked eventually. As I said, even if it takes to the end of their life, even if it's after they die that they stand before God, God will judge the wicked. So don't be wicked. Don't be on that side. And don't be hasty to judge them yourself because God will take care of it. And God will do it in a way that you don't have to have your own hands dirty. You don't have to live with guilt and regret and consequences for the rest of your life. And so when David heard the news, he was so glad that he had not taken matters into his own hands because God did it for him uh, in a beautiful way. And that's why God's way is always the best way, not just in vengeance, but every area of life. You do it God's way, it is always the best way because you will have God's blessings without consequences to follow. And then here's how the story ends. Number 10 is David's wives. David is so glad for the advice that Abigail has given her that he decides he wants to marry her. We see this in verse 39. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of, of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were also, both of them, his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Faulty, the son of Laish, which was of Galim. And so Michael uh, marries Faulty. That was a faulty decision. All these decisions here are faulty decisions. Uh, David should not have married 
these two women. He shouldn't have married Abigail. He shouldn't have married uh, Hinnom because he was already married to Michael. And you say, oh, well, uh, well, Michael had been given away. You know, the marriage had been annulled and she was married to somebody else now. But David still considered Michael his wife. And that's why later on, as soon as he becomes king, one of the first things he does is says, go get Michael, bring her back. And so he considers himself still married to Michael, but he also marries these two other women. And so here's in a nutshell what David does on this day. He thanks God for saving him, for blessing him. And then he goes and in the next breath does something that he should not have done. One time there was a man that bought a horse and the man that sold the horse told him, now I want you to let you know that this horse is a Christian horse, you know, believes in God. And so I've trained him and here's the way that this horse responds to commands. There are only two commands that the horse responds to verbally. And one is, uh, instead of saying go or, you know, some other word, you, you say, praise the Lord to get him to go. And then when you want him to stop, you have to say hallelujah. So, uh, you know, you can practice a little bit. So he got up on the horse and he said, praise the Lord. And the horse went, he said, okay, now hallelujah. And he stopped. He says, okay, I think I can, I think I got the hand of uh, the hang of it kind of strange, but okay, we'll go with it. He bought the horse. And so he's taking him home and he wants to see how fast this horse can go. So he says, praise the Lord. And the horse goes and, you know, he, he really gives him the reins and the horse starts going, galloping faster and faster. All of a sudden he notice, notices that the horse is going toward a cliff. He's, he's going to go right over the edge of this cliff if it doesn't stop. And so he says, he pulls back on the reins. Whoa, horse, stop. Whoa, whoa. Uh, he starts saying all that he can think of. And then all of a sudden he remembers, oh yeah, Christian horse needs Christian commands. So he remembers it's hallelujah to stop. So he says, hallelujah. Uh, and then he pulls back and the horse stops just short of the cliff. In fact, half of the front hooves were hanging off the cliff. He's like, praise the Lord. And so then the horse goes over the cliff. And that is exactly what David does on this day. He stops just short of going off the cliff and killing Nabal. And then he goes off the cliff anyway by marrying Abigail and this other lady, Ahinoam. And we need to be very careful in our lives of doing the wrong thing right at the moment of doing the right thing. That we, we think that because God has blessed us, now we have God on our side. We could do anything that we want. That's sometimes what people think. Well, if I, if I like this, if I want to do this, I see that God is blessing me. God is on my side. I can do whatever I want. And so David here does a, a horrible thing. He stops, if we can paint these two words uh, with the situation, David stops short of murder and he thanks God and Abigail. Oh, thank you for stopping me short of murder. So I think I'll commit adultery. Uh, he doesn't commit murder, but he commits adultery, which by the way is what he, what marrying multiple women is. You've got a vow in God's sight to be with one woman for one lifetime. And instead you add another woman and polygamy is adultery. Most people don't think of it that way. When you see God's will and God's plan, by the way, David eventually married at least eight wives. He kept adding them. There was Michael, Abigail, Ahinoam, a woman named Mayaka, Haggith. I wonder what she looked like. Haggith. Uh, Abital, Egla, another one. Uh, you know, uh, 
not quite the name I'd be looking for in a wife, especially if I already have six. I think I'll marry someone else named Egla. Anyway, and then the famous Bathsheba. So David has eight wives and many children, many sons. And then, by the way, he also had many concubines. Remember the story where uh, Absalom mutinies against the kingdom. David leaves, and it says he leaves ten of his concubines behind there. So he's got at least ten concubines. He's got at least eight wives. And God had specifically commanded uh, all the kings of Israel in the Old Testament to not multiply wives. And we could go beyond that, just see God's will of being one flesh. When God says you are one flesh with a woman, it's impossible to be one flesh with all these multiple women at the same time. So David is definitely out of God's will here. And although we don't see God sending a prophet or judging David's nation because of the polygamy specifically, we do see it play out. Uh, in a horrible way in his life, all of the consequences of these decisions, of adding all of these wives. In David's family, you have, we talked about the mutiny of Absalom. You have incest, you have rape, you have murder, you have rebellion, you have treason, all in David's children. And I think a lot of that you can pinpoint to the infighting and jealousy that came from these multiple wives and all these half brothers and sisters. Uh, and so David doesn't end this chapter in a good way, but he does listen to the timely advice of Abigail. I want to finish with this. Our, the, our sermon title is Good Advice Just in Time. The greatest advice that someone could ever give or receive just in time is the advice to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust him for salvation. Have you ever believed the gospel? Do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, that if you were to die right now, you would close your eyes in death, but open them in heaven, in the presence of Jesus? If you don't know that, you don't know how close to death you could be. It could be today. It could be in a moment. Even as you're watching this, you could breathe your last breath. You could go step out in front of a car. You could fall off a cliff. You never know. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Our life is a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. And it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We will all stand before God. If you stand before God today, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? The best advice that I or anyone else could ever give you is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Turn from the sin that you've been committing. Turn from the, the error of your ways. Maybe you've been trusting in your good works. Turn away from trusting in your good works and turn to Jesus. Look at him in all of his glory uh, in, your, in your heart, in your mind, and believe that he died to save you from your sins. We're all sinners. I urge you, if you haven't done this today, uh, uh, that you would take this advice and believe in Jesus. And by the way, if you know someone that's not a believer, the best advice you could give them, and it may be just in time for them because they are not promised tomorrow. Share the gospel with them. Open their hearts, open their eyes through the Holy Spirit to their need for a savior, their need for salvation. Abigail gave beautiful advice on this day and David took it. Whatever God's telling you to do, say yes to God. You will never regret it for as long as you live. Let's pray together.